Good morning, Hagerstown Church. I want to take a moment to invite you uh, to have a seat and to open your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Mark. And we'll be in, back in the Gospel of Mark this morning, and we'll uh, find ourselves picking back up in uh, chapter 10 and verse 13 and following. I'm so thankful that I was afforded the opportunity. Oh, yes. Hubtown Kids. Uh, you are dismissed. So if you're in age, ages three to five, uh, you're, you're dismissed now to back here to Miss Micah and to Miss Sarah. They're going to be taking good care of you, uh, and they're going to be teaching and working through this idea that God is faithful, that God is faithful. And so if you're interested in sending your kids that way, uh, go ahead and do that now. Uh, they'll, be, they'll be taking good care of And also, as I often ask you, be sure that this is a fun way to, to kind of rib some of these kids or just get to know them a little better. Ask them what the, the Lord's teaching them, what, what they've been learning in Hubtown Kids. But uh, anyway, uh, sorry, I got a little bit uh, sidetracked there, but uh, I was really glad and thankful that the Lord afforded me the opportunity to spend some time away. Um, I I was sharing with one of our folks this morning that uh, being away is a wonderful thing, but uh, as the country song says, there's nothing like uh, being on the front porch looking in. And so this is uh, my front porch, and I'm looking in right now, and I'm so uh, glad to be back here. So if you're welcoming me back, if you uh, thank you for welcoming me. If you are introducing me to this church and uh, saying, hey, it's good to meet you, uh, asking me who I am. Uh, my name is Josh McLean. I'm one of the pastors here, and it really is a privilege to be uh, with you this morning. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think I mentioned this just a second ago, but again, I'm a little sidetracked here. I'm so many f- uh, thoughts uh, flooding into my mind right now, uh, being gone for five weeks. It's uh, there, there's a lot of pent up things to say here. Uh, but I, I really am thankful for Pastor Tim. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everyone here recognizes that. This morning's not about Pastor Tim. This morning, this is about Jesus and uh, what we'll do with the information that he gives us this morning. But I, I want you to, to, to know, I want you to hear it from me. God has truly blessed our church um, to be able to have, to be able to say that Tim Wilkerson and Jill Wilkerson were a part of our church and that God has uh, used us to, use, to be a springboard to launch them out. And so I hate, uh, I hate to say goodbye to the Wilkersons, but I am fully uh, encouraged and confident that God is going to use them there in Baltimore to bring himself glory and to bring lots of uh, many souls uh, to himself through them. And so, uh, yeah, be, if, you're, if you're able, be here tonight. At 6 p.m., we're going to be commissioning as a church. We're going to be sending out and praying over the Wilkerson's and just thanking God that, uh, that he has, the Holy Spirit has set them apart, and we're going to send them out for that ministry that he's called them to, to tonight. So be sure to uh, be here if at all possible. And uh, without any further ado, let's jump into the text this morning. I'm going to read to you uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 to 16. So this is the word of God. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms, and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, this really is our prayer that you would bless the reading of your word. Father, that you'd bless the ex, uh, exposition of your word. Father, we believe that your church will be helped, that your children will be equipped as we work through, as we work, need through, as we chew on these words. 
Father, we recognize that you won't disappoint us. So in full dependence, we rest now at your feet. And we ask that these things be done in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I typically do, I want to just begin with front-loading this idea, the main idea of this text. And so if you're taking notes, if you're going to write something down, this would be a good uh, thing to write down. This is the main idea. And it's this, that those who would enter the kingdom of God bring nothing and gain everything. That those who would enter the kingdom of God bring nothing and gain everything. Doesn't matter how old you are this morning, if you're three years old, if you're six years old, or if you're 66 years old, either way, know this, that if you desire to enter the kingdom of God, you can bring nothing in, you can bring nothing to the gate, but in the kingdom of God, you will gain everything. Let's work through this text this morning. Starting in verse 13, it says, And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. Here Jesus, just giving you know, some teaching there, possibly in a house. Remember, he's, he's heading towards Jerusalem. He's heading to the week of his passion. It's the end of his life here, as it were, the end of his ministry. And there as he's just finished teaching, he's probably in the house, and people begin to bring their children to Jesus. And it says that they that he might touch them. That word for children, it, it can refer, it's, it's general here, it, it could refer from children that are eight, eight days old all the way up to children that are 12 years old. But there's a parallel account in Luke's gospel there, and it tells us that they were bringing infants to Jesus. And so we know that there's a group of children being brought to Jesus, likely by their parents, and at least some of them, if not all of them, are, are young ones, are babies, infants, the other parallel account in Matthew, it, it says that they were, they were wanting Jesus to put his hands on the children and to pray for them. They wanted Jesus to bless their kids. And blessings in these days, uh, a very common occurrence. In other words, it's a, it's a prayer, it's an expression, it's a gift maybe even that's spent for, that's requesting the welfare of another. And typically directed at God. God, would you bless this child? Would you bless these people? When we pray a blessing, we're asking, we're requesting of God. And so imagine here that Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, in person, literally in the flesh, is available to pray a blessing over your child. I know all of the, the parents, all the mothers here are like, uh, yes, where does the line begin? Never mind, forget the line. I'm going to jump to the front of the line, right? You're just going to get in there, right? That's, that's me. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, available to pray a blessing, to ask God to bless, the Father to bless this child. You know, it's intuitive, and James also really confirms this explicitly for us, that, that the prayer of a righteous man avails much, or it works much. And so here they are bringing their children, asking this righteous man, great understatement, they're asking the most righteous man, this holy man, to bless their children. 
It doesn't really appear that these children need any sort of healing or any sort of exorcism, although that's very common in the gospel accounts. But that's not what's taking place here. It's just loving parents with precious children simply wanting Jesus to touch their babies and for the sake of his blessing. It's a beautiful picture here. Many of you, you've spent time in churches that have stained glass windows. I, I, I covet, if, in, in a holy way, I covet those stained glass windows. One of my favorites, many of you can even see it probably in your mind as I speak of it now, is the stained glass window that would attempt to portray Jesus with the children. In this very passage, blessing them. It's a beautiful picture. It's heartwarming. The birds are singing, the sun is shining, and Jesus is welcoming them in, and the parents are excited, and then the clouds roll in, or the disciples, rather. It says that the disciples rebuked them. Again, we don't know for sure. We would assume that these are the parents, but it it seems to be saying that the disciples roll in, and they rebuke, they correct, they stop the parents as they're trying to come to Jesus. Before you get all up in arms about what the disciples are doing. It's, it's easy for us to do that from time to time, to, to look down on the disciples and to think ill of them. But let's put ourselves in their shoes. We don't live in their culture. And to be fair, we have to realize that the value of children at this point in time was pretty low. Of course, people love their children. And yet, at the same time, they had very, a very low place in society. Now, it was worse in pagan context than in the Jewish ones, Still, all the more children were to be seen and not to be heard. Maybe that is reminiscent of your upbringing. I can can assure you that it is to a greater degree in this passage. Jesus, the Messiah, here ministering, here teaching, in line behind the parents is the rich young ruler that we'll get to next week. The guy that really had some clout. The guy that really had the ability to to work things out for the disciples and to make things happen and maybe even bring some protection and meet some of their physical, financial needs. He's in line too. So the disciples rebuke the parents. Jesus doesn't have time for your children. He doesn't have time for this work. Leave that to the high priest. Leave that to somebody else. Leave that to grandpa. Jesus is busy. We know the general disposition of the disciples towards Jesus. Remember Peter? When Jesus declares to to Peter and it finally sinks in, hey, this guy, he's telling me he's going to be murdered. He's going to be crucified? You've been talking about that, but I really didn't, it wasn't really clicking, but now I understand what you're saying and I want you to know something, Jesus. That's not going to happen. I'm going to stop it. You see this sword right here? I don't bear this sword in vain, Jesus. I'm going to be there to stop it. I'm going to be there to protect you. I'm going to keep you from suffering. I'm going to keep you from certain death that's not so certain anymore. This is the general feeling of the disciples. And accordingly, now the disciples wish to keep Jesus from difficulty. They wish to keep him from exhaustion. He doesn't have time for children. He doesn't have time to be bothered with spoiled brats and soiled infants. Leave that, again, to the priests. Leave that to the parents and to the grandparents. In all fairness, we really don't understand or know the motivation of these men, but we do sort of receive a clue by the ordering of the passages in this chapter. And so you'll probably notice in the verses following, 
what we've just read this morning, the blessing of the children, that there's the turning away of the rich man. And I believe that these two stories are together for a reason, and it's, it's telling us something, and it presents us with a question. I think it's a question that you would do well to answer this morning. It would reveal something about your heart, and that is this. Would you rather have in your debt and in your presence a penniless, powerless infant or the rich young ruler? I think of Pastor Tim being sent out, soon to be building a, a team. Maybe some of you have even considered that. Don't. Just kidding. <laughs> Going to be piecing together a launch team, core team. Some of you guys, this, you're beginning to think fondly about the days where the Lord was working in our hearts and we were dreaming and talking and planning to plant. I wonder what Pastor Tim would say. Tim would, Pastor Tim, would you rather have a rich young ruler on your team? Or would you rather have a penniless, powerless infant? Well, I don't know what Pastor Tim would say. But judging by Jesus' conversation here, I don't think Jesus would make the choice that many of us would make. If that choice, that hypothetical, were to be forced upon us. You see, too often children are forgotten. Too often children are ignored. Time that should be spent with them, taking them to Jesus in some sense is rather spent on personal hobbies and professional advancements. Too often. Yet, verse 14 speaks to this. And it's, if you will, it's a turning point. It's the pivot point of this brief passage. Look, it says, but when Jesus saw it, when he saw the disciples rebuking the, we believe the parents, he saw it and he was indignant. I want you to see something here. This is the turning point. So you, you have the parents bringing the children to Jesus. That's right here. Then you have the disciples, they rebuke the parents. And they're rebuking the parents according to their implied values. They're saying Jesus doesn't have time for that. And so they're bringing, the parents are bringing the children and the disciples rebuke the parents. And then here at the apex, the turning point, you have Jesus sees. And everything changes when Jesus sees. Jesus is not turning a blind eye. He is actively looking and he sees how these children are treated. He sees how they're stuffed and turned away. Jesus rebukes the disciples according to his stated values, and he blesses the children. Do you see that? This short phrase here that Jesus saw, it's comforting to some and it's frightening to others. That Jesus saw the way that his disciples were treating these kids. I want to tell you something this morning. I believe that Jesus sees the way that we treat children as well. Know this this morning, that Jesus observes the way that this culture treats children. He sees every child. He sees every instance of neglect. Every case of abuse that you wonder, 
if it will be caught, if it will be seen, if it will be observed, and let me assure you that Jesus sees it. He sees the shedding blood, the shedding, the shed blood of every single child that was ever born and ever murdered in this nation of ours. He sees everyone. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3 says this, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. They're on Washington Street on Thursdays in every room of that murder clinic. Jesus sees. He sees in every room. He sees in every hotel. He sees in every home. He's watching and observing the evil and the good. At any rate, Jesus saw what the disciples were doing, and the text says that he was indignant. That's a pretty intense word, even for Mark. In other words, Jesus becomes angry. And there's this idea of emotion that, that boils over into action. And so he's not just brooding and frustrated. It's a righteous anger that, that gives way to action. He observes this injustice. And his anger is kindled against the disciples. And Jesus will have none of it. In their foolishness, in their arrogance, they turn the children away, thinking it's better to, to spend their time some other way. It's better that Jesus spend his time, short as it is, on some other soul, on some other person. And maybe you would agree, would it not be better spent with rulers and politicians, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees duking it out so they can see a real apologetic debate there? Wouldn't that be a time better spent than Jesus, you, rocking these little kids back and forth, tickling their noses, praying blessings over their heads? Their assumed values of the disciples, it's, it's on a collision course with the intrinsic value of children. And Jesus is going to correct this. What does it say? Well, he says to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. He's saying, I, I see what you're doing. Stop it and get out of the way. You're hindering these children from coming to me. You're not even an active party in this. Other than that, you're stopping what I want to happen from happening. He's telling the disciples to stand down, to stand aside and not to hinder. Jesus is saying, what is happening right now? It's a good thing. And I want that to happen. I want these children to be brought to me. So get out of the way. Why would Jesus say that? Well, I'm so thankful for the series that we've just concluded. One of the reasons why we know that this is the case, that Jesus would welcome in these children, is because children bear the image of God. They bear the very image of God. And they have value as determined by God. Not soon, not one day, but now. So for some of us, that's difficult for us to really grasp. That the children that we have now, whether they're one day old or 18 years old, that they bear the image of God and that God himself has placed value on their lives. And God, have mercy on us when we hinder them from coming to Jesus for whatever reason. 
I think one of the things that we could take away from this text is this, that there's no better use of our time than to spend it bringing children in some way to Jesus. There's no better use of our time than to in some way be bringing children to Jesus. You who would be pastors this morning, life group leaders, parents, and even neighbors, grandparents, let the children come to Jesus. Let the children come to Jesus. As we think about this idea of Jesus inviting, desiring that the children come to him and that he would bless them, know this, that it's possible to hinder children in both active and passive ways. Think through that with me just for a minute. There's ways to hinder children both by commission and by omission. So actively standing in the way as the disciples were, is a hindrance. And Jesus says, don't hinder the children. But furthermore, there's things that we can fail to do. As it relates, as we relate to children, that would be sins of omission. That would be hindering by way of omission. What thing has God called you to do? Are there areas in your life as you relate to children, as you interact with children, as you operate with proximity to children, is there something that God is calling you to do this morning that is to get out of the way or to begin to help facilitate children coming to Jesus? Do you need to start bringing children to Jesus or do you need to stop people from bringing children to Jesus? I think that's a fair and helpful question this morning. It's been told to me that it's not wise to teach our children the things of God. It's not wise for us to indoctrinate our children. It's been argued against me, even on my own street. Reminds me of the story of a man who said the very same thing. He said, I'm not going to teach my children the, the ways of God because he thought they're so young and it would be wrong to, to, to shape their impressionable minds and really to create a prejudice one way or another. And so he'd rather leave that up to their own children so that they could choose their own religion when they grew older. One such man that had that idea, that had that thought, who had shared that with a friend, learned a valuable lesson. You see, that friend of that father had observed that oldest child acting in a way that was unbecoming a Christian and operating in a way that was extremely contrary to the ways and laws of God. And the friend told the father, he said, I told you that this would happen. You were afraid to prejudice your boy in the right way, but the devil had no such qualms. He has prejudiced him the other way and pretty strongly Two. This was a story told by Charles Spurgeon. And he added this to that story. It is our duty to prejudice our fields in the favor of corn, or we'll be soon covered with thistles. Cultivate a child's heart for good, or it will go wrong by itself, for it is already depraved by nature. If we were wise enough to think of this and to leave no one to become 
no little one rather, to become a prey to the destroyer. You see, there's ways for us to be actively hindering children from coming to Jesus. And there's ways for us to be uh, uh, inactive and passive as we omit things that God has even called us to do. And so as we consider application of this idea that God's calling us to this morning, that, that Christ is clearly teaching us this morning, I want you to just think about the children that are in your life. The young ones in your life. Maybe you're a father, a mother. Maybe you're just an aunt or an uncle. Maybe you're an older cousin. Maybe you're just a neighbor. Handing out popsicles on Friday evenings as the kids play together. How is it that you can be proactive in bringing these children to Jesus that he might bless them in some way? Maybe it's through family worship, a practice that's simple, and yet when done faithfully, can bear wonderful results as we sing and pray and read the scriptures together. Perhaps it's honest and pure piety lived before your own children. Baxter, he speaks of the difference between theology preached and theology practiced. May our children, parents, see no difference. Maybe it's regular attendance at Sunday morning services. Maybe it's life group, week in, week out, living life together and dragging your children along with you. Maybe it's just simple mealtime prayers. As I alluded to a moment ago, maybe it's evening popsicles with the ever-present neighborhood children. Maybe it's sleepless nights with an inconsolable infant, one that doesn't even belong to you. In all these ways, and in many more, Jesus is speaking to us this morning and he's saying, do not hinder the children from coming to me. This is a good thing. And so to many of you this morning, including my wife who's up with the children, don't be weary in well-doing. Don't be weary in the work. He commands us, To not hinder. He commands us to even draw children as much as is humanly possible and encourage them to place their trust in God. And he says to us, don't hinder. Don't stop them. And we can believe, we can trust that he won't hinder it either. No. The work that we do to raise our children, he will quicken and he will bless. Don't be weary. God is using this church. He is using these members to help children find and follow Jesus. I know that. I've seen it. What does he say about those children that were not to hinder? He says, for to such belongs the kingdom of God kingdom. This doctrine, it describes the rule of God over his creation as a king. It speaks to the submission of its subjects to the will of its king here in the present, but it also points and speaks of the the coming fullness of the kingdom in all its glory and in all of its blessings, its consummation. And Jesus is not saying here that, that only children are in the kingdom. 
Nor is he saying that all children go to heaven when they die. That's, that's not the point of this passage. The next verse, it, it talks of receiving the kingdom like a child. And so it's obvious that Jesus is speaking about some specific characteristics or qualities of children. And that in that way, they represent those who are in the kingdom. And so what's happened thus far? Jesus, he sees the disciples treating children in some way that would be misplaced in their priorities as it relates to children. And he offers correction, but then he uses those children as a model of true dependence, pointing to and saying, this is what you need to do to enter the kingdom. He's correcting the disciples at a heart level. Here are the facts. Your values are misplaced. My time is well spent with children. You must let them come to me. And by the way, here's a little shot. They do a better job of following me than you are at the moment. Jesus is saying, you need to receive the kingdom like a child. Look at verse 15. He says, truly, Amen. I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Doesn't that kind of like make you ears perk up just a little bit? Like, whoa, 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 this is, this is a very important time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, wait a minute. If I don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, I won't enter it at all? That's a huge statement. What is it about little children and receiving the kingdom that he's referring to? Is Jesus respeak, is he referring to, is he speaking of innocence in children? That's not a thing. And all the parents said amen. Jesus is not saying, hey, you need to be innocent like that child. Sometimes we say that of our children, but it's theologically false. There are no innocent children. And so this is not what Jesus is speaking of. He's not saying be righteous like a child. Show me one. Perhaps what Jesus has in mind is that, number one, children are unable to contribute. Children are unable to contribute. What is it that a child can do, a baby can do to enter the kingdom? Children literally, literally bring nothing into this world. They're more keenly aware that they brought nothing in and they'll bring nothing out. Contrasting a baby, a child, a suckling with the rich young ruler. Kept the commands all of his life from his youth. He can't bear to part with the wealth that he's acquired or maybe inherited feeling he's able to contribute. I've kept the law. I have lots of resources, Jesus, to to push in. I'm ready to, to slide those things in on the kingdom. I'm able to contribute. And Jesus is like, hey, you're gonna have to be like a you're gonna have to be like a child. You're gonna have to be like a baby to enter the kingdom. This is hard for so many of us, isn't it? If we're to enter the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that we are unable to contribute. It's not of works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy, he saved you. If 
you, if you're to enter the kingdom this morning, you're going to have to recognize that fact, that you have nothing to contribute. Maybe you're a Christian here this morning, maybe even a member of Hagerstown Church, and you'd say, Pastor Josh, I'm, I'm wrestling with that this morning because I'm seeing that I've begun to shift from receiving like a child to earning like the rich young ruler. What am I to do? You're to do the same thing that you did at the first. You're to repent. You're to agree with God about your sin and about your resources or the lack thereof, that you are unable to contribute to your passage into the kingdom of God, that you're unable to contribute to your own salvation. The only thing, as it's been said, that you contribute to your salvation is that you need it. And so children, unable to contribute. Maybe this is what Jesus has in mind. I believe it's part of it. Furthermore, number two, that children are content to depend. Children are content to depend. What is it about men? Well, that could be a whole several sermon series, but not at this church because we preach expositionally. But anyway, content to depend. What is it about men that are, they just can't find it in themselves sometimes to depend or to show any sort of dependence? I don't need any help. I know where I'm going. I've got everything figured out. Hey, let's keep this between our family members and our unit. We don't want to draw anybody else in. We don't want anybody to know that we need something outside of ourselves. And in all fairness, it's not just men, maybe stereotypically, but I think we all have a little bit of that in us, don't we? We're not content to depend. And yet everything that a child needs from day one It has to be given to them. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? At the first, they don't even know what they need. They don't know why they're crying. And yet loving mothers and fathers care for their children, anticipating their needs and meeting everyone that they can. And guess what? The child is not embarrassed in the slightest. They're satisfied. They're content in that care to depend they're fine with that. You know, as we get older, we like to be the ones that are answering the questions, right? And yet children, especially at the onset, they love to be the one. They're totally satisfied being the ones that are asking the questions. And if you've ever been a grandparent, you can say amen to that. But why? But why? Children, from the beginning, are content to depend. I think of Psalm 131 verse 2. It says this, the psalmist, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Satisfied. Content to depend. Unable to contribute. Third way, maybe Jesus is thinking we must be like a child is that children are inclined to trust. They're inclined to trust. Similar to content to depend, their full confidence is in their caretaker. And we know this because they're not in control of their future, and yet they're not shopping around for better services, right? Look, well, I've got some ads out. I've got some feelers out. I'm looking for maybe some, you know, to compare some rates. And see what kind of you know, service I'm getting, how it, how it matches up. No, children don't do that. They're inclined to trust. 
And it's a simple trust. Perhaps this is what Jesus has in mind when he says we must come to him like a child. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The father, he shows compassion to those who fear him, those who are placing their trust in him. Jesus knows this about the kingdom. He's teaching us about the kingdom. He says, the kingdom is comprised of, of its subjects who are utterly dependent on their Lord. He corrects the disciples for thinking that the children are a waste of time. And he, and he, and he takes the time then to bless them. And furthermore, he, he uses these precious children as an object lesson to show how their own hearts, the, the hearts of the disciples, the hearts maybe even of the parents, and the, the hearts of those that are in attendance, what they should look like as they approach the kingdom. I love the story of Martin Luther as he helps to, the Lord uses him to start the Reformation. We benefit from today, but one of the things he says is that he found great comfort and inspiration in his own children. And that in many ways, the Lord used his children to be a teacher. Here, Martin Luther, the great Martin Luther, being taught, in some sense, by his own children. There's a point in his life where he was disturbed and depressed, mainly because of his enemies. The list was long. He's walking back and forth in his own house and he looks down at his wife nursing his child and he thinks and even says aloud, child, your enemies are the Pope, the bishops, Duke George, Ferdinand, and the devil and there you are, unconcerned? Seriously? You're just going to sit there? Everybody wants you dead? Everybody wants to take your life? And here you just sit there happy as can be in your mother's arms. And you notice the complete trust of this child in the arms of the one who loved him. And he realized that his own anxiety was unwarranted and that God had promised to protect himself as well. There was another point in time where uh, his daughter was just going on about Christ and angels and heaven Martin Luther said to his daughter, he said, my dear child, if only one could hold fast to this faith. And she quickly replied, why, Papa, don't you believe in it? Don't you believe these things? And Luther was shocked. Again, and he later wrote, Christ has made our children teachers. That Christ has made our children teachers. This is not what Jesus is saying to us this morning. Look to the child. Look to the child. How do they receive the kingdom? How do they receive the care? With trust? With dependence? With nothing in their hands? One theologian said it about, he's speaking of this matter, he said this, it is in such a spirit that the kingdom must be received. It is a gift of God, not an achievement on the part of man. It must be simply accepted inasmuch as it can never be deserved. So easy, Jesus is saying in effect, that a child can do it. 
Children receive God's grace because of their sheer neediness and not because of merit do they inherit for themselves. Children are content in their neediness. They're content in their helplessness. They have no ability. They have no accomplishment. And my friends, is this not a beautiful picture of the gospel? As you see a mother swaddling her child, that those who have nothing receive everything. A child neither chooses or earns. They simply receive. This is one of the truths of the Christian faith that was reclaimed during the Reformation that I spoke about just a moment ago. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are saved. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks to this. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Passive You have been saved. It's something that has been done to you, for you, Christian. You've not done it. You've not contributed. Do you hear that, Christian? You have been saved. It's like, hey, you just saved a bunch of money on, on on your car insurance. What? Well, in that scenario, you switched to Geico. But in this verse, you've literally done nothing. You just get a notification. You've been saved. Furthermore, he says, goes on in in verse 8, and this is not your doing. Just in case you're confused, this is not your doing. You have been saved. It is a gift of God. How how can they say it? How How can the word of God say it any clearer? It is a gift. Well, here's how you can say it a little clearer. It's not a result of works, verse 9 says, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, his workmanship his energy his resources his expense created in christ jesus for good works furthermore it says which god prepared beforehand before all of these things god prepared it so that we would walk in them notice the passive nature the passive nature of the christian in those verses and it speaks of those in the kingdom What do they accomplish? What do they bring? What have they done? Nothing. Christ alone does the saving. Also, I think of 1 John 4. We won't go into all the context of it, but this verse, I think we can remove it quickly. We love him, it says there in John 4, verse 19. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. Christian, this should bring you joy. This should give you the warm and fuzzies, even more than watching a a mother care for her own child, newborn. If you love Jesus, it's because Jesus first loved you. It's not like, well, we realized, we came to the point in our relationship that we had a mutual respect for one another. And so that's how this relationship's working out. That's not what's happening here. We love Christ, Christian, because he loved us. And perhaps this morning, what is most clear to you is your great need. I hope that that's the case for someone here this morning. That you become keenly aware that you are like that child, needing everything. Unable to save yourself. Unable to bring meaning and value to your own life. Unable to, unable to escape the guilt and condemnation of your own sins the mess that you have made. I pray that you see that this morning and that you don't just 
begin there. That you also see that Christ is saying to you, enter into the kingdom and that you'll enter in like a child. Look at verse 16. It says, And he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying his hands on them. Jesus likely just takes one at a time. Some of you who are just like busy, you know, moving quickly, always going on to the next thing, just having to move right along. This is probably going to bother you. Because I think, just by the, 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 the verb usage here, that Jesus takes the time to, to spend with each child one at a time. He doesn't just say, oh, children, I'm going to bless all of you. Come around, gather around. I'll bless you real, real quick. No, it's this progressive. One at a time, he takes the children in his lap, up into his arms, places his hand likely on their heads, and prays a blessing over each of them. It's likely something that the religious leaders of that day would never take the time to do. And yet Jesus does it. And the word bless here is, is not just bless. It means to bless fervently or to, to, bl- to bless extra warmly. In other words, what it's saying here is that Jesus' heart was in it. He really took the time and he really blessed these children. Each and every one of them. And this was the overflow of Jesus' love for these children. How do we know that Jesus loves the little children? How do we know that? All the children of the world, right? Well, we know from this passage and, and a myriad of others. But here's what we see. When we take children to Jesus, Jesus takes the time to bless them. Jesus loves the little children. As we close this morning, I want to draw your attention to to two main things that I think we can be challenged by from this passage. I want to ask you to consider taking time to take children to Jesus. Take the time to take children to Jesus. What would that look like for you? Time spent bringing children to Jesus, training them in righteousness, holding them in the nursery, singing with them in the classroom, praying with them at their bedside, asking them about what they've learned, how the relationship with God is. It's all time well spent. Church, don't be weary in well-doing. Jesus will bless them. And those moments are never wasted. And secondly, as we close, I want you to consider this. Consider your own heart. Are you approaching the kingdom as a child this morning? It's time for a checkup. Are you currently approaching the kingdom as a child Maybe we could turn those three points about children into questions. Do you see that you are unable to contribute this morning? Do you really see that? When you consider the relationship that you have with God, what would you point to if someone were to ask you, why or how is that possible? How can your relationship with God be restored? How can it be so good? Why does he love you? If you answer that question with 
pointing to anything but the work of Christ. And we've got a problem. Just as that baby, cared for by the mother, has nothing to contribute, so too with you. You could ask yourself, am I content to depend? Am I content for my weakness to be revealed? And am I satisfied with resting in God this morning? Am I satisfied in resting in the finished work of Christ? Do I feel the need to look elsewhere? Do I feel the need to to continue to work to contribute? And thirdly, are you inclined to trust? And all these questions overlap. But are you out looking for something else to bring you righteousness? Are you out looking for something else to satisfy you, to bring your life meaning? If that's the case, you're not approaching the kingdom of God as a child. I'm not sure if girls were this way, but I know guys are. At least I was. I'd run out of things to brag about out on the schoolyard, right? There's only so many things that I had accomplished. Only so many trophies that I had, or none, actually. Really, really just accomplished. But what would typically happen in the schoolyard? When you'd run out of things to brag about in your own life, what would you start to do? Oh, yeah? Well, you might be able to beat me up, but I know something right now. My dad can beat you up. <laughs> Furthermore, I'm pretty confident that my dad could beat your dad up, right? Do you got, just raise your hand if you ever were a part of a conversation like that. There's four of us, and the rest of us are liars. Six of us now, seven. Wouldn't it be beautiful if that is what we adopted from these children? We wouldn't at the schoolyard or at the water cooler or speaking with our friends, speaking with our coworkers, even speaking to our children, speaking amongst each other, that we wouldn't be bragging about our own accomplishments. We wouldn't be bragging about the things that we are doing or desire to do or have finished doing, but that instead that we would brag on the one who has nursed us. That we would brag on the one who has given us life. That we would brag on the one who has united us to Christ. It's my prayer that our church, and that those who would enter the kingdom this morning, that they would hear these words, see their inability to contribute. They'd be content to depend, that they would be inclined to trust. I want to give a warning this morning. It's not those who have the posture of a child will enter the kingdom of God. Those who look like it. But it's truly those who see their own inability, see their own weaknesses, that will enter the kingdom. Jesus is not calling for a show and he's not calling for pretense. There are no faux, humbled persons in the kingdom. Not a proud and strong man gritting his teeth and kneeling, but a prostrate man, unable to stand on his own, calling to Jesus for rescue. Only he will enter. Only those who truly see their great need and desperation call out to the one who can save them, just as the blind man who we will meet in a few weeks 
called out to Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on me. Church, those who would enter the kingdom of God, they bring nothing and they gain everything. I'm going to leave you with this. A few lines from a hymn. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I want to invite you to take a moment for reflection. And so if you would, would you just bow your head, close your eyes. Would you take some time to reflect and to consider your own heart? Would you ask the Spirit of God to provide introspection for you, to do that work? Perhaps it's in some way you have misaligned your priorities as it relates to children. Maybe you want to take this time to recommit to not standing in the way and, and, and bringing children to Jesus. Or maybe there's been some pride that's crept up in your life. Maybe this morning's about recognizing that God's called you into the kingdom, but you won't enter it. No, not unless you enter like a child. Father, this morning we're crumpled under the truths of these texts. As the disciples were so prone to do, so are we to misalign our priorities, to be a respecter of persons in such a way that is inconsistent with image-bearing, Father, perhaps there's some that have grown weary in well-doing. Father, help us to see that the work that you're doing as we care for children, as we bring them to you, is a work that you'll not hinder either and that you'll bless. And so we pray that you'd quicken our hands and strengthen the one that is weak this morning. And God, we bless your name. We look to the cross of Christ from which flows salvation. From there we receive every spiritual blessing, having contributed nothing. And so it's to the cross that we cling to this, to, to this morning, having brought nothing there, and yet receiving everything. Father, we thank you for these truths. We pray that your church would be encouraged and equipped. We pray that these things be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone. Amen.